You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Transition Wild Podcast, the home for those looking for expertise and inspiration on all things Western big game hunting. I'm your host, Adam Parr, and you're listening to episode number 18, where we talk with Drew Rouse of Real Game Calls. Hello, how's it going, everybody? Hope everyone's having a great day. Have a really cool episode. Today we have Drew Rouse of Real Game Calls on the show, and it was a pleasure sitting down with him for about an hour or so talk a little bit of everything from turkey hunting deer hunting but our main focus we're talking about today is really revolved around elk hunting and particularly their calls um they have a really cool um different you know game-changing kind of cow call that they've developed over the past um four or five years and i've been using it for the for the last two seasons so i really wanted to get drew on because I really like the call. They're local to where I'm at. I know Drew really well. He's become a, a good friend of mine. And um, and then we're also talking about, um, let's see, he's got a new, uh, a couple new bugles, uh, bugle tubes that are coming out here later this this summer and and early fall. So that's pretty exciting as well. What's What's really neat about this is Drew offered to do a giveaway. So make sure you're listening to the end of the episode and we'll give you all the details on how you can enter to win that uh win a call from from real game calls. So pretty cool. It's their cow out call and works really well. It's the exact one that I use. So anyways, um if you like what you're hearing, I appreciate everybody reaching out and and sending me some some positive feedback. Thanks for all the reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever else you listen to it. So thanks again. Uh, make sure you subscribe. A lot of good content coming out this summer. Great lineup as we're leading closer to elk season. It's it's really close. I can't believe we're we're only uh, we're less than three months away, which is wild. I'm not ready at all, but here we are. So uh, again, thanks for your support. We won't waste any more time, and let's get Drew Rouse on the podcast. All right. Well, here we are with. Drew Rouse of Real Game Calls. We're here in Avon, Colorado, hanging out. Another beautiful day, and met up with Drew. And we're this is kind of a rarity for me, but um, starting to do a little bit more of them. We're doing it face to face, so it's it's a fun dynamic instead of doing it over the phone. You know, it's it's not always as personal, and you can't get the conversation flowing. So happy to be here, man. Fair enough. Yeah. Thanks for coming uh, coming over to my house and doing a podcast. I mean, <laughs> It's pretty fun. You can come over here and see all the sheds and stuff that I got sitting around here. <laughs> yeah, it's I know, dude. This place is this place is filled, man. There's there's sheds stacked everywhere. There's mounts on the wall. There's just all sorts of cool shit going on. We'll get into here in a second. Drew's prototyping a bunch of crazy calls and new stuff going on. So it's it's like a full blown operation. It's like staring at an engineering, uh, you know, CAD drawing computers. He's got a uh, what is it? 3D printer? You're yeah, printing off some new calls? 3D printer sitting on my desktop and my uh, CAD cam computer sitting here so I can do two jobs at once and 
use my laptop and this stuff at the same time. Yeah. So yeah, that's real cool. It's all about multitasking. (laughs) Small business owner. (laughs) So yeah, man, I'm sure you wear, I'm sure you wear multiple hats. Um, yeah. And I'm, I'm glad to have you on. I started this podcast last fall and I wanted to have you on kind of like as one of the first ones, but more of a timely matter. I mean, I was thinking about it today. We're what three months from elk season right now. It's going to be early June by the time this podcast launches. So that's two and a half months, two, three months by the time. Yeah. August 15th in Utah. If, if anyone's getting an over the counter, oh, yeah. drew out there. I mean, it's coming. I know dude. It's so, dude. Life just needs to slow down for a second. <laughs> don't you, don't that, you feel that way? I'm I, like, Jesus, I thought it was just like 2018. We were just at the ATA show together. And then now it is like freaking halfway through the year. Yeah. You just like blink and you know, I was waiting for Turkey season. Like now it's almost over. You yeah, know, seems like it was just yesterday. I was in Nebraska hunting turkeys. That that was almost two months ago. Yeah, so that's wild. That's wild. Yeah, so um, so you have been hunting turkeys. What I know, you've been to a few different states. Um, yeah, Kansas, I, Nebraska, Colorado. Nebraska what? opens pretty early for archery, so I usually make a point to try and go out there for opening day, or opening week, anyways. I usually miss it by a couple of days, but. Um, and that's really nice. Nebraska's got awesome turkey hunting. You know, yeah. you get three tags and there's a lot of birds. So you know, yeah. it really makes it a lot of fun when, and open country too. Yes. So they're, they're a little easier to, to find. So yeah, yeah, for sure. And you just smoked one in Colorado just what, yeah. a week ago, a couple weeks ago. I shot one up in the high country and, and that was a little difficult this year. I think two years ago we had a, a lot of late snow and I think a lot of those uh, nests failed. So um, but it was fun hunt and got on a bird. Um, finally after what, 10 hunts I went on. So yeah, it can be a struggle for hunting Merriam's people are say they're a pushover, but you got to find them yeah. and they got to be on public land. And, uh, <laughs> if they've been pressured, they probably are not going to gobble back. So it's like, it just seems like Eastern birds to me, you know, which is more country to go looking for them. Oh yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, one thing with me, it's like I wanted to get out and hunt them this year, and um, I don't think it's in the cards. There's, what, like a couple days left now, but it's just for me, like going out in the mountains and <laughs> putting in the work to do that, I'm like, ah, I'm kind of busy this time of year right now, and, and uh, I like, like to put more of my eggs into the fall hunting season. So it's kind of tougher from where I grew up just to kind of walk out on the back 40 and, and, and go hunt them. you got to drive and hike a mile or so in and, and set up shops. That's a different ball game. Yeah. I think I get up at like three in the morning from here and, and to get there to try and <laughs> roost some birds. That's a little bit crazy, but I don't know. I think at some point I'm going to move somewhere where I can have turkeys in my backyard. Like you're saying, cause that sounds a lot better. Sleep in your own bed, get up, go turkey hunting. It's so. only a can- Kansas isn't a bad option if you're, <laughs> no, I like it out there too. I mean, I went out to, I hunted in uh, North of Topeka, but, I mean, there's just birds everywhere, and, you know, you just get up, and it's not like where you're traveling half across the state to go find some turkeys, or for me, you know, I'm driving five hours, normally six hours to go hunting, so I might I might end up in the Midwest where I can just drive two hours and hit four states and come back to Colorado and yeah. still hunt. Who knows? Yeah, so. a little bit more centrally located to what you want to do. Yeah, I mean, I end up traveling, mean, you travel as, as well as I do, yep. you know, and I'm usually driving wherever I'm going, so... I drove drove across the country a couple times last year and a couple times a year before. So it starts to get <laughs> to where you're like, man, if I just stopped here and that's where I lived, 
that would make it a little bit easier. So. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So did you grow up hunting? What's, I mean, what's your backstory? Is it when you moved out to Colorado is when you kind of got into the hunting scene? Yeah. My mom's not very into guns and hunting and stuff. So <laughs> yeah. my stepdad always wanted to take me goose hunting and, uh, she just never really allow it. So I moved to Colorado, um, in the late nineties. You're originally from Maryland, right? Yeah. I grew up in Maryland. Um, I grew up fishing and, um, I was born in Annapolis, Maryland, so I I grew up on the water around the outdoors my whole life, you know, um, so my dad was always taking us fishing. So when I moved to Colorado, you know, if, if I moved to Bermuda, I'd probably get a boat and try and catch a marlin. So <laughs> I moved to Colorado, and you got elk here, and uh, I've always been into archery. I've had a bow since I was a little kid. Uh, my dad bought me a bow, and I've always had a compound bow that I shot. I just was not allowed to go hunting. <laughs> so when I moved to Colorado, I took hunter safety and got into it. So yeah, you know. and you've been hooked ever since. Oh man, I, I think I bought, I bought a rifle, and then I realized archery season started for antelope like in the middle of August, and I bought went out and bought a bow, and then from there I just fell in love with bow hunting. And you get thirty days to chase the elk around, you know. Even if you're working, you, you're still gonna get a lot of chance to be in the woods and yeah chase them around so. yeah yeah that's pretty cool but it it always goes too quick it's never long enough <laughs> yeah right it, I, I started learning to not get so many tags all during one season so that you because you always get these big ideas and then you eat a bunch of tags <laughs> yeah yeah i'm in the same well i i've i've done a pretty good job I, I have yet to hunt mule deer with a bow i've yet to hunt mule deer at all since i moved out here but you know, growing up in Michigan, I'm used to hunting whitetails, and although it's not the same species, I just, I just, there's something about elk for me. I mean, that's what drew me into Colorado, and that's why I'm here. So I've just kind of put all my eggs into that basket, just to try to learn as much as possible about elk, and then maybe I'll try to pick up a rifle tag for deer if there's any leftovers somewhere. I doubt there will be, but we'll see. I'll get into it eventually, but elk's where it's at for me they right usually, now. They usually have a good amount of leftover tags for some decent units. I had a buddy that shot like 180 some inch mule deer on a leftover tag a couple really? of years ago. Oh shit! Yeah, I'll uh, when we're not doing the podcast, I'll maybe tell you where it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it was a few years ago, there might be a little bit more pressure in that unit and mm. more more tags uh, being taken up. So, who knows? That's true. So you Especially never know. this year's draw. Yeah, if they had a you know, they had all those people put in for the goat and the sheep tags, and I think it may not correlate to elk and deer because it used to be $250 for resident to put in for sheep and goats. Yeah. So now that it's $3, like why wouldn't you? Yeah. You yeah, know? exactly. But the big game tags, it wasn't so bad. I mean, for like a hundred and some dollars, you could put in for deer, antelope and elk, Yo. you know? So I don't know if you'll see this huge jump in residents, but I, I, I guarantee you the non-resident tags are going to get really hard to get, you know, those yeah. plants are going to creep up exponentially yeah so. for sure so how did you how did you get into making calls i know you had the ski company first uh tell us a little bit about that and kind of maybe how you got into this whole manufacturing and kind of engineering aspect of maybe what led you to real game calls as of today well i started working at a ski shop in high school in maryland and i started selling ski boots which led to modifying ski boots for people and so uh -huh. I did that for a long time. I moved out here, um, like in the, in the late nineties and I got a job at a ski shop and I worked there for, I worked in the ski industry for 10 years, um, doing ski boots and fixing skis and stuff. 
And so in doing all that, I competed in a bunch of different kinds of skiing. And uh, I started skiing for Vail Resorts um, in their marketing shoots and stuff. And then I got a sponsor, uh, this company out of Denver called Grace Skis. And um, just one thing led to another, and I ended up buying part of the company from the guy. Um, really? Okay. Yeah, because I was like, you know, I'm I'm in my 30s. I'm still skiing. Like, I'm not going to make any money doing this. I might as well try and make some skis. So I got involved with that. And then within, a, would say, two years, I, was, I took over the company from him and, uh, like, revamped how we were making all the skis. I mean, he was having some issues with consistency in the manufacturing processes. And uh, I just kind of used the Internet and just did some research. And I was like, look, you don't need to change the wheel here. Just mm-hmm. do what everybody else does and make skis. And so I started doing that, and we then I he didn't want to do it anymore, so I moved the company up here because I was going down to Denver all the time. And, yeah, not uh, a fun drive in the winter. Yeah, it's not <laughs> a fun drive in the summer either because they usually have something going on. It's either construction or snow or skier traffic. <laughs> I think that got rated as the nation's worst commute to convert commute from Eagle County to Denver. <laughs> so I can see that. Yeah. But, uh, you know, used to leave Gen- I used to leave Denver at midnight to drive home, and I-25 would be gridlock, and I'd just <laughs> shake in my head. So I'm, I moved the company up here, and um, in that whole process, I believe it was my second year in the ski company. Once I learned how to run the CNC mill, I had this idea to make the, the elk call. And so I got some modeling foam, and I literally made a prototype in, like, maybe an hour. And, and how how long ago? How many years? Ago that was in was 2012. <clears throat> okay. Excuse me. So like five six years ago. Yeah, it's been six years now. This will be six. So I I made that first prototype that year, and uh, I just made it out of modeling foam, and it kind of looked exactly like the elk reel, except for it was maybe five times bigger, and you couldn't put it in your mouth. And, and if you put <laughs> so it in it's your, come a long ways. Yeah, if you used to be able to just crush it, and anyways, so. Yeah, in driving back and forth to Denver doing the ski company, I would just think about how I could make it work better. Yeah. You know, because we wanted to make it bulletproof, and then we wanted to make it small, and you could bugle with it. And there was a lot of things that I wanted to be able to do with the elk call. And so it was a process of, you know, I'd do something, and then I'd make the lid out of wood. You know, once I made the lid out of wood, I was like, well, let's make the bottom out of wood. Once I made both sides out of wood, I was like, man, that really sounds good made out of wood. Yeah. So then we just evolved the <clears throat> the whole look and the design of the thing to where we could manufacture it over a, a period of time. And then to get a patent takes years. So it took, you know, doing a patent search. Once you do the patent search, then you file application. Yeah. You know, and then you go back and you have a prosecution with the patent people. And a lot you, of money, too. Yeah. <laughs> you spend money and a lot of time. And anyways... Finally, they came back and said that they were going to give me almost all of my claims like right off the bat. And so that's when we were like, okay, we're making skis, but we could just use this ski factory to make these calls and no one else is making them. Or we could make skis and there's hundreds of companies making the same kind of skis. And I'm like, I have a patent pending process on putting a graphic on a ski that's already been built. So it's like a whole fleet of blank skis. Uh-huh. And then you put the art on them afterwards. But even then, it's like the business model of we're going to sell elk calls that don't stick, that are volume variable, they're easy to play, and that they sound awesome. 
Yeah. So that was kind of the initial thought. Like you just wanted to build a better mousetrap essentially based on some pain points that you had, you know, using other calls, right? Yeah. I mean, I just, we, we used to just talk about, Hey man, we want to carry less stuff. Cause when I, I mean, I've had six knee surgeries, so, but I used to go back into the back country. <laughs> Skiing? Skiing, uh, related? Yeah. I've yeah. had four ACL reconstructions, two on each knee, and a microfracture surgery. But when I was in my later 20s, I used to go back in the back country like eight or 10 miles, yeah. backpack in there, and we'd always be an elk. And <clears throat> carrying all that stuff led to, like, I don't want to carry a lot, all that stuff. Let's see if we can make something smaller, or I'll see if I can make something smaller. I always say we, but. It was my yeah. idea. I just wanted to make an elk call that solved issues of stuff that I had just because I like making things. So. <laughs> yeah, well, it makes total sense. I mean, you were already set up with the skis. You had the capabilities to do it. You had the machines. And really, it was just kind of more of a passion. Uh, your other passion, it sounded like, at the time. So it makes makes a whole lot of sense. That's that's really cool to see it kind of grow from that and, you know, where you're at today. It's, it's really yeah, neat. I mean, you can't you can't ski like I was forever, you know. Eventually, it catches up with you. But you can hunt, you know. Even if you can't hunt elk, you can hunt deer. You know, you can sit in a tree stand, so or find a place where you can hunt elk and you don't have to hike up the mountain. <laughs> but I just I don't know. I I just fell more in love with hunting. The older I got, the more into it I got. You know, it's just such an involved thing. You know, it's it's kind of like surfing where you're like you go out paddle out and the whole time you're out there you don't think about anything else. It's like where's is the wave coming? Yeah. You know, what am I doing out here? Is there a shark under me? <laughs> but your mind just goes to a different place. Yeah, you place. leave work, you leave, yeah. you know, problems, all that stuff. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah, that's but, cool. And that's, that, I mean, that's just how hunting's become. Yeah. So. Well, the the one thing I noticed early on from, I was introduced by Mike, you know, from Mike Miller. Um, I worked with him at Quiet yep. Cat and he was, uh, let's see, that was right when I first started three years ago. He was blowing on this elk call, and I had yet to hunt elk yet, and he's he's uh, doing the cow call, and I'm like, what the hell is that, you know? And he started showing me. He's like, oh, yeah, my buddy buddy makes these. He's your local. And, and I was like, damn, I got to gotta talk to Drew then. And, and uh, But, yeah, the, the thing for me, like I've never been able to work just a, a regular reed-type call. And then the, what do you call the ones that are kind of more traditional with um, kind of more a tubular look. What do you call those? Is that oh, like an open read? Yeah, call? open read call. Yeah, yeah. And I can't like I just, the pitch control and how they sound. I just I don't know. I could not get the hang of them. I I tried for months, and as soon as I picked up your call, I was like, holy shit, there's something to this. Because like within a matter, no joke, within a matter of a couple minutes, I was making what I felt like was pretty realistic sounds. I mean, is that what you? That's probably what you get all the time, right? Yeah, I mean. We've given it to like two year olds and they can they can blow it pretty good, you know. I mean, so it's really user friendly and every other elk call, you know, and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but people are hating on me anyways because you come into an industry and then start revolutionizing it like like this thing has done. You know, it used to be hard to like you're saying, it was hard to get an elk call and make a good sound with it. Yeah. At least for a beginner. At least I mean, for a beginner. And, and there's put- and there's a couple of calls out there you know, that are push button, but they're, you know, everybody knows that it's monotone and it's one volume. So ours, yeah. you can say pretty much everything Elk says at almost any volume. Mm-hmm. So now you've got a tool where you can sound like a whole herd Elk and you don't have to be super experienced. So, yeah, I mean, that's just pretty much been the reaction that, you know, when you give it to someone at a trade show and they, 
take it and they blow it and even like yeah. outfitters that are like I don't know how many outfitters hit us up and they're like you know I love your call but what a reason I love it is that it doesn't stick when I have a client you know yeah yeah so, yeah I mean I've seen it where you dip it in water and yeah. then pull it out and you know just shake it off a little bit and it, it sounds good and you probably eliminate is there something to it like eliminating like freezing or do you, is that not too big of an issue with with elk hunting in Colorado well what happens at a lower temperature is that mylar reed I mean if you think about it it becomes stiffer so yeah it's much more likely to stick to the soundboard at a colder temperature in an open reed call and then if you put moisture in there and then you have those two static surfaces together well it's going to freeze together yeah so but this for whatever reason the ni- the nitrile doesn't freeze i mean even if it got like frozen ice on it you just blow through it a little bit and it just vibrates it right off yeah so i made a goose call prototype that we we're working on and at the ata show when it was snowing i blew it all day and i left it in the truck and it was like 19 degrees all night and i picked up in the morning and played it so no kidding. I don't know what the physics are that allow our calls to not freeze, but they don't. And I've also tested them on the other spectrum. If you've ever left mouth diaphragms that are latex on your dashboard in the sun, they melt. So mm. I'll leave these on the sun, you know, in the dashboard in the sun. I've taken it and put it on a piling at my dad's house in Florida for 60 days in the sun after dunking it in salt water <laughs> and went back and played it. So it's really a durable product. And yeah, I mean, it, whatever, if, you know, I have to say that I, we're trying to revolutionize an industry. I mean, there hasn't been a whole lot of new ideas in the game call field. Yeah. I mean, not in this century. Yeah, so. yeah. It's it's pretty unique. I mean, if you can maybe like kind of describe it, because it's rather simple in the scheme of things. I know you've got patents on the design, but maybe for people listening, just kind of tell well, us a little bit about the concept and the design and maybe describe a little bit of the call to us. Well, the mechanical principles of it are pretty simple. It just basically hinges towards the mouth so when you squeeze it it changes it basically changes, changes the, the pitch min- yeah it changes or, the pitch okay and there's a, a bunch of different reasons why it changes the pitch but all the people really need to know is if you squeeze it the pitch goes way up you know so i squeeze it you get a high pitch and then when it's open you yeah get a much lower. lower pitch and then as the foam squeezes and then draws away from the reed it even changes the pitch even more because of you know the physics of the air and the suction that it creates and so you get that really authentic elk sound yeah it's so. <laughs> it sounds good and i and and for me too the control um you know you might be in tight quarters and again with those kind of open reeds i just just feel like it was like very loud and and in some some aspects you want that but in a lot of aspects when you're bow hunting especially i mean you you need that control to to be able to quiet that sound down and that's where i feel like yours really shines as well in addition to being really easy to play and sounding very i mean lifelike for sure well yeah and people will be like oh it's not that loud well you can get pretty loud with it but the thing is is like if you ever looked at the size of your ear compared to an elk's ear and do you depend on your hearing to stay alive <laughs> their hearing is a lot more evolved than yours and they can hear things that you can't and you know I'm convinced that they can hear ultrasound and subsonic sounds that we can't. So, yeah, you know, it makes sense. I mean, they just can. I mean, that's like a dog can hear a dog whistle. Well, the elk can hear sounds that you can't hear. So our call is probably making a higher pitch sound 
then you can audibly hear, but the elk can hear it, mm -hmm. you know? So, and then you get back to that volume level where when I used to rifle, when I used to rifle hunt and you try and use an open recall to like, you know, you're just creeping through the deadfall on the timber and it's a great way to find elk around here, especially when they get pressured and you get a little bit of snow, you just fall, start falling tracks and going through the timber. But I always take that open read and just bite on the tip of it and just really quietly try <laughs> to mew because I know they can hear you walking. Yeah. Well, elk hear you walking and they hear other elk, they'll at least wait, you know, two or three extra seconds to, to pick out what you are, which if you're rifle hunting for a cow elk, I mean, if you can't figure out in three seconds to get your gun up and get them in your sights and shoot them, you're not going to eat an elk. So that's all you really need is just that extra little bit of time. And this call, you can call so quietly that they can just barely hear an elk, you know, and they just, yeah. That, and that's all you really want to do. Yeah. So. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, for like me back in Michigan or hunting whitetail deer, I noticed like you call, right? You maybe do some rattling, grunting, uh, a bleat, and that deer's coming right to the tree. I mean, if, if it, if it worked, I mean, they've got that good of pinpoint accuracy yeah. that they'll, they'll know exactly where you're at. And, and with me for that first experience using it, uh, when I killed my bull, um, you know, I was doing some, some cow calls up into the dark timber. I was kind of on the edge of this met meadow and those cows literally came right to my tree and then, you know, drug the bull past. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it's like, yeah, it, it might, might not be the loudest call on the market per se, but like, like you said, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be, it just needs to sound more realistic. And, and with all the public land being, you know, not overrun, I guess, but like, there's definitely more pressure out there. It's, it definitely has its place for sure. Yeah. I mean, opening weekend every year, the elk vocalize. I mean, that's probably the most times, the times I hear cows vocalizing the most when I'm out bow hunting is opening weekend. Yeah. And then after that, if you hear them, like I heard cows vocalizing the last day of the season last year and I, uh, I missed a calf. I don't know why I thought she was 40 yards. I shot right over her. And then I had the herd bull come in and I got the range on him and I got that single pin adjustable sight. And so by the time I finished adjusting my sight and went to draw, he walked off. So I'm not going to hunt with one of those sights this year. I think I'm going to go back to, to fix Just pins. Just fix pin. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's less to it, you know, like, you know, you got a 60 yard pin, a 50 yard pin. Yeah. If you think set. the bull's 55 yards, you just split it and shoot. Yeah. And with that single pin, I've, I've had that mess me up so many times. I'm going to go away from it. Um, you know, maybe I'll do one of those combination sites. I don't know, but that bull walked off and, but the point of the story was that those cows were vocalizing, but it was almost silent, you know, and they, and they get to the point where they know if they're making a loud racket, all they're going to do is attract hunters. Yeah. So, but they're still keeping in contact with each other. I mean, that's exactly what they're doing. It's moving up the mountain and we had got out in the dark and got around them. I wasn't even calling. I mean, the bull is bugling. The cows are, just chirping like just real quiet and you hear that bull bugling and we got right in on them but they go right up the mountain you know and chirping away and then i messed it up so by shooting <laughs> shooting over the calf and then the, then the bull walked in i only had a split second so it happens man that's bow hunting oh know? yeah yeah for uh, sure i got a pretty cool footage last year of a bull dropping 18 inches and ducking my arrow so he's 45 yards and you know i'm shooting a, a hoyt turbo bow and just to have him they're do the that crazy on film. animals. Yeah, I'll, I'll show you the footage sometime. He, <laughs> he moves like a whitetail, and you're like, that's a, that's at least a 600 pound animal, 650 pound animal moving like that. So yeah, 
So, so what do you talk to us while well, we're kind of talking about elk calling or whatever? Um, talk to us a little bit about some different, and uh, maybe you can show us maybe some different calls, uh, sounds that you would do, and maybe like something more like uh, something that you would do more in the rut, maybe something the early season. Are, are there different vocalizations that you were going through, or is it pretty, pretty stock all the way through the season? Or how how do you do it? I guess it's a good question. Um, yeah, I would say that. My favorite kind of thing is to try and act like I heard elk and then, you know, maybe try and act like one bull talking and then another bull talking and have different sounds. Yeah. Um, so, you know. So, you, and I know you have different, uh, as of right now, different wood um, options, right, for different calls, and that gives a different pitch as well? Yeah, that, the different wood just gives a little different tone to the wood. So the expensive exotic woods that we use are tone woods yeah. that they make instruments out of. Um, got it. So, but this, you know, the call that's thirty nine ninety nine <laughs> sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. And then you get another option to have different tones. So even like, you know, in in an elk herd, you're gonna have all different kinds of voices of the elk. So that's one things I'll try and do when I'm calling is is to have a, you know, a conversation if you will. Like, let's say you're turkey hunting, and you you have a hen come in and you cluck at her and she clucks at you. Mm-hmm. And then it escalates, you know, and, and you have a conversation. If a gobbler hears that, he's much more likely to, to commit than if he just hears you calling at yourself. You yeah. Know? So elk are kind of the same way. So if you hear that, like a calf, and then a mom, yeah. Well, the calf's making lost muse, and then the mom's making, you know, like, hey, an assembly kind of, you know, I hate to label their vocalizations because whatever elk are saying, but. Um, you know, the mom elk is saying them over here and the baby elk is saying them over there. And then they're, you know, they're making contact with each other so that they can keep track of each other as they travel mm-hmm. or the, you know, the baby's like, I'm really lost and I'm going to come back over there, but they're going to be vocalizing so that they can keep in contact traveling through the mountains. Yeah. Know? And so if you can imitate elk communicating with each other, you're much more realistic than if you're just sitting there making the same noise over and over again, it doesn't sound to me what elk sound like. Yeah. So different tones, different, um, lengths, different, um, pitches and and volume, like just kind of back and forth. And maybe even if you were with a buddy too, you kind of spread out and you're kind of talking back and forth to each other. That's, that's even more deadly than being by yourself. You know, last year, um, a friend of mine shot a bull and we went to go look for it. And another friend of mine was coming up the hill later. So there's three of us up there looking for it. And we all had the elk calls, but he couldn't figure out where we were. So we were just calling at him. Yep. And he was calling back, and he comes up, and he's got three tall boys. And we sit down on a log. <laughs> he had one for himself. I think he had four of them. So we were like, we couldn't come, find the bull. Come and a we little closer of... to the mic. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, you're good. Yeah, we were um, just sitting on a log drinking a couple of tall boys and couldn't find this bull, and everyone was kind of bummed out. And we had been calling back and forth like that from hundreds of yards away. And literally like 30 or 40 elk come down the hill, catch me with my pants down. I have my bow sitting next to me. So I get the bow, I get an arrow off, I get it knocked. And there was a cow at like 30 yards. By the time I almost drew, like the whole herd just blew. And it, it was, but it was pretty illustrative of the fact that if you spread out and you sound like one elk trying to find another elk, mm-hmm. they're just much more likely, I think, to buy it. Yeah. So, um, you know, we're acting like one bull and another bull over here, you know, and then beating up a tree, 
I used to carry around a five by five set of antlers, um, and I would rattle. Yeah. And I mean, literally I would have like three open recalls, two bugles, a five by five set. <laughs> You're and, going in heavy, man. Well, that's, I mean, I think that's what it takes. If there's a lot of people and I don't want to like bash people because like, whatever, you got to learn how to elk hunt. How are you going to learn how to do it? You're going to go do yeah. it. Yeah. You so got to go through the Everybody can walk around bugling or, you know, walk around with cow calls, just blowing it because you don't know what you're doing and you're kind of yeah. trying to figure it out. But it seemed to me that everyone would just walk around blowing their whatever brand name <laughs> bugle. And I called in a guy last year, you know, he had a, he had a latex, uh, whatever. Hoochie mama. It wasn't a hoochie mama. It was a bugle. <laughs> had a latex mouthpiece like every other latex, whatever insert that all these bugles have, and they all pretty much sound the same. And so, like, we were sitting there, and I was like, let's just call him in. And I was using this new bugle prototype, and literally called him right in. But like, he was just walking around the mountain, bugling his head off. So it just seemed to me that if you sound different, then ninety nine percent of the people are trying sound, you know, trying to do something different, think outside the box, you know. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I really like to do is <clears throat> have a predetermined plan in the morning and you're like, I've gotten into elk on this point up here. So in the dark, I want to be moving up the hill to that point, but we're going to be calling in the dark because it's uh -huh. been my experience that the elk, if, if you move up into an area where they're likely to be and you sound like elk traveling, not going to blow out of there. Well, they just, they just tend to buy it because not everybody, I don't know anybody else that does that. It's calling yeah. in the dark to try and like, would they want to ruin your, they'll be like, would you want to ruin your hunt? And I was like, no, I just don't want to sound like you. So I want to try and do something different, you know, to change my luck and, and convince the elk that I'm not just another guy. Gonna yeah. Spook them over the mountain five miles away. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. And you were talking about bugling too. And, um, I have yet to bugle with one, I guess, but you're working on some new stuff. I know when we walked in, you were showing me all sorts of cool yeah. things. Uh, talk to us a little bit about the capabilities of bugling and maybe what's coming down the pipeline. Yeah, I mean, you can you can bugle with a with a with a normal with elk a reel, normal right? elk reel. Yeah, I mean, you're not gonna go out and like win an elk calling bugling contest with it. But you know, I know some of those guys that don't hunt with diaphragms, so they bugle with them on stage, but they're not hunting with it. You know, some yeah, of them. yeah. Anyways, <laughs> um, but you can bugle with this and you can make so a lot you, you of really, basically just took that call and put it into a, a tube Yeah, and, just, and basically kind of rasp, do like a different yeah, raspy just kind of tone. Yeah, kind of reflect your voice into the, yeah. into the call Got and it. then and that's another nice thing is you can bugle quietly so you can sound like cows closer to the bull and a bull further away and he's like, oh, I just scored that bull's over there and I got his cows and I'm just going to walk over there real quick and yeah. not get my butt kicked. So, but what we're working on is, uh, basically this has a lid on it and these other calls do not have a lid on them and you're using your lower lip to play the reed. And I think you can do a, a lot of kind of sounds that you can do with a diaphragm call and you're going to get a different tone because you're using a different reed and it's not under tension, but, um, you know that yeah you can definitely tell that's a lot louder yeah i mean you can get you can get louder with it and i think that the reason you can get louder with it is because you're controlling more of the airflow over the reed that makes by sense. using your lip 
yeah and the way our call is designed i might play with it at some point i mean i have about a million ideas of how to play with it but i've got so much stuff that i'm working on you know this is the 29 28th embodiment of my patent and i got so much stuff that's floating <laughs> around that i want to make real um but you know you put this in a tube and i'll move back. so he's shown he's shown us the prototype right now of this new open read yeah and this won't be a too long before i think we're going to come out with this maybe a pre-order in june hopefully um so you know it, it makes a pretty full bugle um that's with the bigger two the first one i'm going to come out with is this really compact i think this thing weighs yeah like that thing's two. only like a what I think it weighs 12 like, 14 inches long yeah it's about 14 inches long and it weighs about three or four ounces um you know and it has a mouthpiece that you can take out and use as a cow call or you can bugle with it without the tube you know you can pull the mouthpiece out and, and then put it back in the tube yeah that's super cool and for how small it is and how light it is i mean this might be all that i carry this year because that was the whole idea behind all this is let's make stuff small and compact and make it user friendly um, this read system, it seems exposed, but the way that I've tested this is just by putting these in my pocket, you know, for a couple of years and yeah. seeing if I could ever get one to rip. Um, I took the original mouthpiece I was hunting with last year and threw it in the back of my truck on the floor from September <laughs> until the ATA show. And I played a little ATA throw threw it back on the floor of my truck. And then I played it all at the great American outdoor show. And I just took the reed out the other day. So that reed was in there from August until the other day. And I think I must have spilled some coffee on it or something. But I could still <laughs> play it. And so the reed's exposed, but it doesn't tend to rip. And there's no possible way for it to move or get misaligned. So you have a really consistent product here. I mean, you know, there's a lot of bugles that I've used over the years that under optimal conditions, when the reed was in the right spot, sounded pretty good. You know, and I definitely killed elk with them. Yeah. But there's always a but, and I want to eliminate the but. Yeah, so, that's cool. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, you've got some really, really neat stuff going on here. Everything that you're playing right now or showing me, this is a, a 3D printed prototype? Yeah, all of these, um, well, this has a wooden barrel on it. This is a, a coyote sick of deer uh, combination call, but, you know, you can. I mean, it sounds awesome. It's small. It's compact. It's pretty easy to. It's easy for me to play. I try to, to figure out like, you know, if I, if you sit here every day for six years playing a game call, you better get good at it. <laughs> so, we're trying to figure out how user friendly it is for other people. It's not as easy to use as the elk reel, but it's not as hard to use as a regular open read call. So, yeah. You know, it's and it's a cool design, and you can replace the read. It doesn't freeze up. And I think this one's going to kill a lot of coyotes. So, you know, doing the wildlife management, and, uh, and you know, like I said, I'm going to be spending a lot more time out in Kansas. Um, my friend Clayton out there has got, uh, I don't know how many miles of creek bottom he's got, but he's going to, I'm going to help him manage it this fall and you know, I'll be out there hunting. So yeah. if you want to come out and hunt with Clayton, <laughs> I'm going to drop you off at your tree stand in the morning <laughs> and come pick you up and uh, teach you how to call elk. So but, yeah. Clayton's yeah, a good guy. He's a really nice kid, man. There's not a lot of young kids like that, you know, that are that have got their stuff together. So, um, yeah. Anyways, 
Got a lot of big deer, that kid. <laughs> <laughs> but he's in a good area, for yeah, if sure. You can, if you can draw a mule deer in his unit in Kansas, I'd call him. So, yeah. But you can, you can also shoot a really nice buck on, on public land. Yeah. But you know, I've got to have, I got to get him on the podcast because I'd like to pick his brain on kind of like open country mule deer hunting and like kind of spot and stock and, and, and even whitetail too. I'm sure he knows, knows his way around that for sure. So I, I got to get Clayton on at some point. Yeah. He definitely knows which people in Kansas don't hunt their properties, which is nice. If you, <laughs> you know, you get an insight on like, Hey, that piece of public's over there by a spot that no one ever hunts. Yeah. So there's probably not deer on it all the time, but during the rut on that right day, that buck might push up off that creek bottom and be in the right, you might be in the right spot. Yeah. You know, and that kind of insight is if you drive through these spots and never see a deer. Yeah. So, you know, and if you're hunting with a guy like that and he knows where to, where to take you to on the public land, you know, and to be like, Hey, you know, he's outfitting you on private, but if you got a tag and there's a buck on public, it's not illegal for you to walk over there and shoot it. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, we'll have to we'll have to talk about that stuff as well. But speaking of kind of deer hunting, you've got um, a deer call, a, a bleak call. You've got turkey. You've got sick of deer. What what's all this crazy shit you got going on, Drew? Well, what, do, what all different stuff do you have uh, for options for hunting? Well, I have been working on this deer call for a couple of years now, and originally I was just bleating with it, but I put I made it into a double read call, and I think it keeps it from getting blown out as easy. It makes it much more user friendly. So, I mean, that's a 3D printed plastic one. So, yeah, I that's usually cool. I, I've had the wood ones, and I've just been playing with some stuff, and you know, trying trying to make a cheaper option at some point. Not cheaper for me to get the tooling done, but um, yeah, at some point we could do this plastic. <laughs> you know, you can grunt with it. I use a tube to grunt with it. Yeah. But you can. <laughs> stack your stuff together yeah and deer hunter it's all about doing something that they have not heard before so i don't know anybody that can take their grunt tube and then like and they can't bleat like that anyways with it with whatever bleat that i hear is not what i've heard deer do so yeah. in shed hunting i mean i used to spend 50 to 60 days a year shed hunting with my dog because I was skiing all the time and working it as a taxi driver. Yeah. And so once the ski season's over, it's like, you got some extra time. Yes. But even now, like after February, you know, it's, it's not really powder season anymore. It's really dependent on the weather. So yeah. if you start to become a, an older skier and just want to ski powder <laughs> in the springtime, it, you know, it, it's still fun to ski, but you know, my knees just got old to where I, I only wanted to ski powder. And I didn't want to fall. Um, i hit my head a bunch of times i hit my head so hard one time in utah i broke my neck so Ooh. i just like got into skiing powder and then it would be in the springtime and i just didn't want to ski so i just really got into shed hunting and when i broke my neck and i tore my acl at the same time i bought that shed hunting dog um and after that it was <laughs> lewis like, yeah i bought he's lewis. a cool dude man that's a cool dog what kind of dog is that lewis is a poodle pointer so i had read a whole bunch of articles on shed hunting dogs and this one quote was like a poodle pointer is the Ferrari of shedding dogs for, for Western shed hunters is they can cover the whole mountain. They never get tired and they're not going to go lay in the shade. So, and I've seen him do that where like my buddy's lab will go lay under a bush <laughs> and Lewis will still run around for another hour or so before he'll go lay under a bush. It's and eventually at some point your shed hunting dog will be like, it's too hot for me to be shed hunting. Like I'm going to go chill under the bush while, yeah. you, while you sweat out there, whatever you're doing. But yeah, he's found more 200-inch mule deer sides than any person I know. 
So, and I've had people that were like, Hey, let me borrow your dog. I've been trying to match up the set for three years. And Lewis went out in one day and got the other side. So, no shit. You know, and that's not like, it's not happened a lot, but it happened one time when my buddy was like, yeah, I haven't found this shed in three years. And literally he got it in one day. So that's crazy. That's it's nice cool. to be able to smell, smell them when they're stuck in a sage bush. <laughs> and a lot of times those deer will be eaten out of the sage bush and it'll literally fall straight into the center. Oh yeah. Bush. And you're not going to see that unless you're, unless you walk right next yeah. to it. So, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, so, so what do we have coming in for this fall? Potentially, you said the the bugle uh, two yeah, is going to be an offering, maybe as a as a pre launch pre order. Yeah, I'll probably have that. Like I said, I, I wanted to have it done in May, and we got so busy during turkey season, I didn't think that there was any way we we, we were going to sell as many turkey calls as we did because I didn't do a whole lot of marketing for it. I've been so busy. And then I sold so many turkey calls. I got I got pushed back like six or eight weeks on the on the project, and I guess that that's what happens. You know, I'm making a, a three dimensional turkey read, and I had to get prototypes out to people before the end of turkey season. I mean, things come up where you're just like, <laughs> I got so many things. Really I got so many things I'm working on. You know, that's that's that thing I showed you where you can take the read out and put the new read in there. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So what's coming for the fall will most likely be this bugle, the open read call that you can cow call and bugle with. Yeah, and then, I find that really intriguing. That's that's cool. I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, because I mean, you know, here I'll I'll play it for you. This is the single read, um, whatever I'm gonna call it. I got like 50 names. I'm gonna pick <laughs> one. Sounds pretty good. You can, you can bugle with it if you just carry a tube around. Um, yeah. The diameter of this, it will fit in a lot of the large mouth bugle tubes that are out there that other people are making. So maybe you don't need to go buy another piece of plastic. And, you know, with all the all of the hate on plastic these days, you know, our oceans are getting filled up with plastic. If you don't need to buy another piece of plastic... I don't really feel like I need to sell you one if you already yeah. have one. Like, yeah. Please don't buy one for me. Pull a pull a baseball bat out of your uh, kid's closet or something, a little well, wiffle ball bat. <laughs> most people out there have some kind of bugle tube already, you know, and like. So if I can sell you, if I can sell you a call, you don't need to buy another big, huge pump yeah, of plastic, cool. you know. Then maybe we will make a little bit of a difference in this world in a positive way, in not making so much stuff out of plastic. Um, but yeah, so it's a really. really playable call that you can do all kinds of stuff with it so yeah that's really cool yeah and one th one thing i noticed about your website too you've got you've got a number of kind of like training videos on there to show um for all the different calls right i mean kind of how to use them uh different vocalizations you need to use in certain scenarios talk to us a little bit about that because i know you you've spent a lot of time putting a lot of youtube videos together that are on your website yeah i think that was and i think that was something that was just necessary to do um we come up with something that no one knows how to use so you're gonna have to educate people on how to play it yep. you know and i've gotten better at trying to explain to people on how to do it you know i've gotten to the point with these things where it's like how do you explain to someone how to throw a baseball and hit a spot you practice yeah you just you just practice until you can do it i don't know you know yeah maybe there's some techniques 
that you can walk through on how to throw it like with with your arm can read about it till the cows yeah. come home and uh till you actually do it yourself it's that's when you really make some progress yeah i mean so did you teach people how to do it and tell them how to do it i've just gotten better at trying to relay in words like what i'm doing to them and so adding stuff to the library on our youtube channel or, or on our website you know um that's just been a necessary thing to try and educate people on how to you know the main goal here is to help you tag out yeah i wouldn't be in business without my customers yeah. my customers aren't having success with the calls well, they're not going to be repeat customers they're not going to tell their friends you know i'm gonna have a hard time staying in business so yeah try and make it so that i can help them to use our products to be more successful it's all about you know when i used to sell skis i'd tell people i'm trying to help you have more fun yeah you know i want you to have more fun up there so if you want to buy a piece of junk pair of ski boots there's uh sports authority what used to be right next door um, to my ski shop and i would tell people that i would i would say if you want me to help you to ski better if you love skiing then you should buy ski boots for me if you don't really care then please don't waste my time or yours go over there and get some junk that you're not going to be happy with because that's what you want yeah so yeah. you know and that's i guess that's my philosophy towards game calls like if it's not something that i want to use I'm not yeah, you're gonna, not going to stand behind it. Well, I'm not going to. Yeah. I'm not even going to waste my time trying to design, yeah. design it. It's a so, business. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah, and talk to us uh, while we're kind of on that whole quality and and everything too. I mean, it's a beautiful looking call as well. Um, talk to us about some of the price points we're looking at here. Um, yeah, the elk calls that we originally came out with the reels are you know they started thirty nine ninety nine for the full wood version, mm-hmm. um, and then the exotic wood ones are sixty four ninety nine. Um, these other calls that I'm coming out with, I'm trying to figure out, you know, about between 30 and $40 is what I'm thinking the price point is for what we will be coming out with. Um, and it's just a, trying to get dialed in the, the, um, the cost per part and stuff so yeah. that I can make a profit off of all of the work that we're, we're putting into it. You know, I got to figure out how much it all costs. And then I, I you know, that wasn't an intended <laughs> consequence of, starting to make an L call was learning about business. <laughs> so, but if you don't oh, yeah, learn, there's that, there's that whole aspect. Too, yeah. Right? I mean like, yeah, you can design game calls and you can sell them, but you, you know, you gotta be in business. So I've, I don't know, I've learned so much. I was, uh, going to the university of Colorado, Denver's business school. Where I had applied, uh, to transfer in there. And that's when I bought part of the ski company and I dropped, I just was like, well, that doesn't make sense. Why am I going to go to business school? And then, <laughs> work yeah. at a business that I own part of, I'll just figure it out. So yeah, you know. well that's what it's about getting your, getting in there, and that's how you learn the most. I mean, I went to college, I got a business degree, but once I got out and actually started working in the real world, that's pretty much your your training right there. I mean, that's yeah. how you learn. I don't know, you know, instructors at a college, they don't work in the real world, so they can teach you a bunch of information. But once you go get a, you know, I always quote. Um, I think it's Warren Buffett. He says, I'd rather have someone with experience than education. Yeah. So you get that in the real world and then, and then you learn how things really operate. So yeah, yeah it's been an eye opening experience going into business, getting into manufacturing, you know, doing the ski company and seeing the, uh, economy is of scale that bigger companies have, um, you know, learning about, all facets of, of trying to make things in this country and, and, you know, a global economy. And, you know, we sell things in uh, Australia, New Zealand, Europe, 
you know, we make the sick a deer call, seek a deer. Um, the guys in Maryland make fun of me for saying <laughs> it wrong. Whatever, I don't care. Seek a deer. Um, yeah, so they have those in, in Europe. They have them in Asia. They have them in Australia. They have them in New Zealand. They have, you know, people have called in red deer with the, with the call. Um, Rusa deer. Red deer, is that in uh, UK? Yeah, they have them in Europe or something. Well, they have them in the UK. They have them in mainland Europe. They have them in Scandinavia. I didn't even know they allowed guns in the UK. Yeah, they, <laughs> I guess I guess they do. The guys that I've sold calls to, uh, I've sold a couple of guys in Britain calls, <clears throat> but most of the guys in Ireland and Scotland are deer colors. So they ah. they introduced. Um, so they go just getting rid of them in the city. Well, they introduced they introduced Sika deer to the British Isles. And they already had native red deer. Well, the Sika deer interbreed with the red deer, so now they have a problem with it with a non-native species, and they ah. wanted to stop interbreeding with a red deer. So they got they pay people in Ireland and Scotland to go out and shoot deer all day. If you really want a dream job, <laughs> I mean, come Dude, on, sign me up for that one. <laughs> yeah, let's go to let's go to Scotland, and I'll spend all day every day hunting. <laughs> I might not make that much money, but I guarantee you, I'll be happy. <laughs> so, That's exactly it. That's real cool. Yeah. Um, so what? Uh, so as far as sales, are you selling? Um, you're selling a lot through the website, obviously, and online. But you're starting to build up the retailer dealer base as well. Yeah, we have. I mean, we did uh, some of that last year when we had time. Um, we got a bunch of stores in the West. Um, yeah. You know, small mom and pop, core archery and mm-hmm. hunting stores. Um, you know, a couple of the shields and stuff. But yeah, we're starting to branch out into that. We hired some sales guy. Um, you know, buddy, yours. So he's doing a pretty good <laughs> Pete, job. You yeah. listening? Yeah, we're talking about you. He's he's doing a good job. So it's going to be a process. You know, you have to convince people that that they're going to make money. They're not going to lose money. And people are really slow to embrace a new idea. I mean, so you know, I'm used to that at this point. You know, yeah. people are always like, "When are you going to be in Cabela's or Bass Pro Shops or whatever?" I'm just like, "Well, when it happens." I mean, yeah, we're doing reasonably well, and you know, for being in. Going into year three, I think we're doing really well. Yeah, so. for sure, for sure. And it takes time. You'd rather nail it and build it, you know, to yeah. scale and not get too big too quick or get ahead of yourselves. Focus on the product, and I think you're. that's exactly what yeah, you're doing. Yeah, I mean, I had some scaling last year where, you know, I hired a bunch of guys, and I tried to train people how to do the reads, and some people can do it really well, and some people don't care, you know, and it's yeah. like. Then you get you, different, you yeah, know, you're fluctuations. Gonna learn, you're going to learn stuff like that, and you want to keep your product really consistent. So, you know, to take that next level of, hey, you want to order X amount of units and I can deliver, like, I don't want to make a promise to anyone that we're not ever going to keep. So I'm happy with the current pace of, you know, if we sell every call we make this year, like we did last year and the year before, (laughs) I think we'll be fine. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's cool. It's exciting stuff, man. That's uh, So uh, website, where can we go? Uh, www.realgamecalls.com. And, um, you know, and some people only want to buy stuff off of Amazon. We're on Amazon too. Oh really? Okay. So, yeah. Cool. Um, a bunch of different options to get the, get the calls. Yeah. Instagram, Facebook, yeah, all that stuff. Yep. Our social media is really accessible and our dealer list is up on our, uh, on our website. So, you know, if you want to support your local business, um, we're all about that. Yeah. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, some really exciting stuff can't wait to see what uh what comes for this fall and what the, uh, this summer and uh, maybe we'll have to do a follow-up podcast kind of mid-elk season and see where you're at because you're uh you're, you're drawing a or you're hopefully gonna I'm draw tr- a sweet elk tag this year i'm right? trying man i've you know i've been built up my 
elk points my whole hunting career here in Colorado. So <clears throat> I'm trying to <laughs> about ready to burn them. I'm trying to cash them in this year, and uh, you know, with any luck, I think it's like a. Well, I don't know with a, with the application fiasco that the state of Colorado <laughs> did this year. I was not planning on that, so we'll see. Hopefully, I'll draw that tag, and if not, I'll just you know make the best out of hunting the over the counter units like we always do. And um, you know, you can't just can't complain if you get the opportunity to go elk hunting. Oh, so you know, yeah. I talk to a lot of people, and they want to know about coming out west and what they can expect for elk hunting. I say, look, if you want to come to Colorado and hunt the over the counter. Make sure you come for the experience of it. Yeah. You know, if you want to shoot a bull, save some money, go hunt somewhere where you're going to have less pressure or more of a chance or something. Mm -hmm. But if, if you want to come to Colorado, it's amazing. You know, you might get an encounter with an elk. And to, to it's some not people, likely you're going to kill one. No. According to the odds. But I was sure. talking, you know, I was talking to a guy in Topeka when I was out there hunting turkeys and he's out in the San Juans 20 years ago and he can still re recount his experience calling it a bull yeah. like it happened yesterday and i mean if that's what ha if that's all the experience you get with an elk you know you remember it for the rest of your life and it's going to be you know that that kind of memory where hey i didn't get an animal but <clears throat> i had one bugle in my face yeah and it was awesome <laughs> that, <laughs> so. that's what it that's what it's all about that's what it's all about <laughs> it's coming so yeah i can't wait well no. cool man well let's wrap this up i really awesome. appreciate you yeah um i'll be in touch and uh yeah look forward to having you back on in a future episode yeah hopefully we uh we'll be telling stories about how we shot some bulls <laughs> <laughs> can't wait we'll have a beer or two over that that story sesh sweet i'm in so cool and there we go another episode in the books thanks again to drew rouse of real game calls for sitting down with me that was a lot of fun and thanks again for listening. That was, was really interesting. Drew's full of knowledge. Um, and look out for a bunch of new, you know, innovative calls that they have coming out here in the next couple months and years to come. Drew's, Drew's just always kind of tinkering and, and figuring out new ways to, to change it and, and make it better. And if you're like me, you've struggled with existing kind of reads and, and, and diaphragm calls give them a really hard look because I am not able to, to do a traditional, you know, read or diaphragm call. I cannot make it sound the the way I want. And, and with the control and, you know, how easy it is to use, it's, it's definitely something that you should put on your radar. And, and I highly recommend them, uh, within a matter of literally a couple minutes of me first using their call for the very first time, I was able to, to make, sounds that I never thought were possible, you know, without hours of practice. So that's pretty neat. Um, and even if you're not new to the game and you're pretty good at calling, check them out because it's going to give you a different tone, different pitch. It's, you know, again, sounding like a herd of elk. So if you've got some existing calls that you're already using, you might want to add this to your existing, you know, to your lineup for this fall it can kind of change it and, and add a different perspective and a different uh, kind of sequence to what you're already doing. All right, so let's wrap this up. Again, we agreed to do a giveaway, and, and Drew is, is agreed to give away one of their cow elk calls. And so here's how you enter. I'm going to share this post on Instagram. So if you don't have an Instagram, I highly recommend you make one if you want to get uh, entered into this drawing. But anyways, all you have to do is 
follow Transition Wild on Instagram, follow Real Game Calls on Instagram, and then you have to like the post on Transition Wild, and you have to um, share it or tag three friends, not share, tag three friends. So um, again, you have to like and follow Transition Wild and Real Game Calls on Instagram. You have to like the post that, you know, basically is announcing this podcast. And then you have to tag three friends in the comments of the post. So pretty simple. I will have that all written out in the actual post on Instagram. Drew will be sharing it as well. So make sure you enter and I hope you win. It's it's actually a, again it's a it's a really good call. I highly recommend it. All right, well let's wrap this up. If you're not already following Sportsman's Nation on Facebook, Instagram, make sure you you're following us there. Follow Transition Wild on Facebook as well as the Instagram page so you get in the competition. And then if you're liking what you're hearing, leave us a review and subscribe we've got some really good content so subscribe to the western big game feed of the sportsman's nation podcast and last but not least if you still don't know where you're hunting this fall after some draw tags have come out and you might not have drawn go over to transition wild subscribe and you will get the five diy western hunts for you and a friend for under a thousand dollars for free um so that's a a nine, ten page guide that I put together that will basically highlight five Western hunts that you can do for under a grand. So all you have to do is subscribe and I'll send that to you for free. All right, that's enough. Enter the contest. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon.